Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Adam Hawkins. In each episode, I present a small batch of theory and practices behind building a high-velocity software organization. Topics include DevOps, Lean, software architecture, continuous delivery, and conversations with industry leaders. Now, let's begin today's episode. Welcome back to part three of my series on Steven Spears' 2009 book, The High Velocity Edge. Part two introduced the four capabilities through Alcoa's commitment to changing their safety culture. Today, I'll cover how a single man embodied the four capabilities decades before they were practiced at Alcoa. This man is Admiral Hyman Rickover of the U.S. Navy's Nuclear Propulsion Program, also known as NR, short for Nuclear Reactors. Rickover launched the program and built a culture that sustains to this day. Our story begins in 1949 at the dawn of the nuclear age. The U.S. Navy wanted nuclear-powered submarines. The nuclear capability allowed subs to remain submerged virtually indefinitely and cover much larger areas. The challenge was nuclear reactors were an entirely new technology. No one understood how to take nuclear energy out of bombs and put it safely into submarines. The engineers had to figure everything out from scratch, and that's just what they did. The program launched the first nuclear-powered sub just five years later. NR also accomplished this with an exemplary safety record when compared to the USSR. NR had zero reactor-related casualties and zero radiation escapes. For comparison, the USSR had more than 10 before their collapse in 1991. The program's success traces back to Rickover establishing a high-velocity culture. The culture begins with the first capability capturing the best collective knowledge and making problems visible. This was especially important for NR since everything was unknown territory. Rickover led his team in the discipline of engineering, that is, the approaches necessary of managing the design, operation, and improvement of complex systems for great benefit when they run well and for great consequence when they fail. Categorizing the system into understood and not understood was a central part of the discipline of engineering. Here's a story about a nuclear shielding experiment that demonstrates the concept. Sensors were laid over the test material. Engineers were asked to predict the sensor readings ahead of time. Engineers were expected to give specific numbers, not just if they would pass a mandatory threshold. If the shielding underperformed expectations, then that required additional investigation and experiments. On the other hand, if the shielding outperformed expectations, then that revealed something that was not understood. In this case, this unexpected outcome could be fatal. So, experiments would repeat until engineers could predict the outcome ahead of time. Only then did they truly understand the problem. These experiments and results made it into detailed reports about assumptions, expectations, and outcomes. Rickover also required reports include the analysis of alternate explanations and dissenting assessments. This demonstrated the line between certainty and uncertainty or in other words, the areas that tested the boundaries between understood and not understood. Writing such detailed reports was not a bureaucratic exercise. Rickover put it, Nothing so sharpens the thought process as writing down one's own arguments. Weaknesses overlooked in oral discussions rapidly become painfully obvious on the written page. This knowledge equipped engineers to swarm problems and convert knowledge from not understood into understood. NR relied heavily on physical models to expose problems in the man-machine system. 
These models allowed fast and cheap tests. They also exposed participants to reactors at the earliest possible point in the process. Today, we call this a quote, shift left. Every shipboard reactor had a matching training reactor on land. Each land-based reactor had matching full-scale wooden and cardboard mock-ups. These models and mock-ups ensured that sailors and engineers had prior exposure to the system before manning the submarine. This was key because Rickover could not be on the submarine with the crew. Crews needed to be autonomous. The entire NR process had to be portable such that new crews could achieve the same outcome as those leading the program. In other words, he had to scale out. NR leveraged written operating procedures for nearly every aspect of daily work. Every experiment, every new bit of knowledge was integrated into the standard operating procedure. These procedures represented the best knowledge NR had accumulated up to that point in time. That enabled crews to assume responsibility for an entire vessel. That included its design, the operating procedures themselves, troubleshooting and problem-solving routines, and even training. All of this had already been proven out by NR. Crews just had to follow the procedures. This approach is great for launching the first submarine. But what about the second, or the tenth? What happens after Rickover eventually leaves the program? Well, Rickover modeled two different leadership behaviors. First is the vision and goal setting you might know. Rickover exemplified excellence and pushed others as well. The second behavior is learner-in-chief. Rickover understood that human knowledge is imperfect. Leaders must embrace this and demonstrate how to continually perfect their own knowledge for themselves and for the larger organization. And then they must scale that process by developing the same capabilities in others. A colleague recounts a wonderful story just about that. Rickover came to class on nuclear technology on behalf of the U.S. Navy shortly after World War II. He kept asking the instructor to repeat lessons in simpler terms. The class became restless as the new student continually embarrassed himself. The instructor asked if Rickover would like to receive private tutoring on the topic. Unembarrassed by this, Rickover gladly accepted. When the session happened, it was not just Rickover and the instructor. More people from the class showed up. Even some of those who sneered at him showed up. Rickover commented, I guess I'm not the only dummy in this class. I love this story because it demonstrates the importance of asking for clarification. I know what I'm about to say is oftenly repeated, but the odds are if you have a question, then someone else in the room does too. For whatever reason, they may be afraid to ask it or simply speak up. Being a learner-in-chief means accepting that your knowledge is imperfect and then demonstrating how to move from not understood to understood. I think that Rickover is a fascinating character. I can wonder how much grit and patience such an undertaking requires. The fact that they were able to operationalize a new technology and do it safely is just tremendous. I often think back to these programs and the early days of NASA. It truly astounds me how much they were able to accomplish and just how much they changed the world. I wonder if I can channel some of that mythical right stuff into my own work. And it seems that Rickover had some of it. This is evident in books about him. Just listen to these titles. Rickover and the Nuclear Navy, the Discipline of Technology. Rickover, the Struggle for Excellence. The Rickover Effect, How One Man Made a Difference. Here's one I particularly like. The Never-Ending Challenge of Engineering. Admiral H.G. Rickover in his own words. 
Rickover understood that the end state was an illusion. Instead, there was only improvement. I'll conclude this episode with a quote from Rickover that shows why he had some of the right stuff. The discipline of technology means that the organization must adapt to the technology and not the technology to the organization. For advanced development, data are never complete, particularly if the product of complex technology is to operate at high standards for years. The discipline of technology requires exhaustive testing of materials and components to determine the laws of nature. If these are not absolute in the sequestered atmosphere of a scientific laboratory or research centers, then there is no reason to expect they are better known on the shop floor. The discipline of technology requires thorough and deep consideration of the match between product and its use, and the intense analysis of the present and anticipated future conditions of operation. All right, let's leave Rick over here for now. In the next episode, I'll discuss how Taiichi Ono and Saikechi Toyota pioneered the first capability, system design and operation. You've just finished another episode of Small Batches, a podcast on building a high-performance software delivery organization. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, go to smallbatches.fm. I hope to have you back again for the next episode. So until then, happy shipping. Like the sound of Small Batches? This episode was produced by Podsworth Media. That's podsworth.com.